The following podcast may contain spoilers, profanity, and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed. We don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either. Listener discretion is advised. The following is a Galactic Netcast production. For more, go to GNCasts.com. The Force is strong with us, and we hope it is strong with you. Welcome to another edition of the New Jedi Archives with Zach Hagenbusher and Ben Schultz. Well, hello, Zach. Hello, Ben. Long time no see. It's true. It's true. I haven't sat in across from you on this couch in many a month. Yes. Many a month. It seems like it has been forever instead of since February. Seems like it's been 30 years. It is not. No, no. But that is how long it was before we got a, a continuation of the original Star Wars trilogy. Really? 30 long years? 30 long years, and then we got... I can't believe it was 30 years with no Star Wars. Yeah, like 30, I think 32. 32. More accurately. 32 years between Return of the Jedi and the next Star Wars movie. Oh, wait a second. No, I think you're forgetting a couple. I don't think I'm forgetting anything, Zach. You are. You're forgetting a couple. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But don't worry. You're not the only one who would like to forget those movies. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately. And I feel like that plays a large impact on the reaction to these two movies. I don't know if you'd agree with that. I I do agree. Yeah. The fact that people forget a lot that the prequels exist and told elements of the story that, if you didn't pay attention to them or don't care about them, are still important. But they also gave us space aids. They did. I don't know. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the prequels today, Zach. No, we're not. We're here to talk about the sequels, uh, both The Last, or excuse me, both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. But before we get into that, I want to thank everybody who has downloaded this episode of the show and decided to come along for the ride. Uh, We are on GNCasts.com. We are on Spreaker, the original home of this podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. You can find us and uh, get every episode to your eardrums every other Tuesday. And before we forget, Zach, if we want the audience members to participate, and I know we do, how do they get in contact with us? Well, they can email newjediarchives at gmail.com. Uh, you can get in touch with us on our Facebook page. Shoot the page a message. Uh, you can accost us on the street if you recognize us for some reason. That would be kind of cool if we were recognized because of the podcast. But at the same time, if we're being accosted, I feel like I'll be afraid. I was going to say that is not true because every time I accost you on the street, you get angry. I mean, not not extremely angry. But you're a little put out by it. You don't like to be accosted that much. No, no, not not a ton. I'm just a simple man, Ben. So we're talking about uh, The Force Awakens, which I love. And The Last Jedi. Which I hate less than okay. I did last time we talked about it. Well, the mission that we set out for ourselves today is before we recorded this episode, uh, Ben and I, side by side, 
viewed both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi back to back. And I think that was important because I think one of the reasons The Last Jedi got so much hate, or at least one of the reasons I thought I hated it so much, was because The Force Awakens really did a good job of bringing us back into Star Wars. And then we had a two-year wait, two years of hype. We wanted the next, you know, the next iteration in the story. And then we got The Last Jedi, which did not, in my estimation, live up to that hype for a variety of reasons. Okay. So even after watching both films back-to-back and attempting to take both in with without the impression of the other films, which is very difficult to do because it includes characters from the other films. Uh, you would say that you still did not feel that Last Jedi brought that continuation? I, I still have problems with Last Jedi. Uh, some of the things that I didn't like about it um, after this viewing, I still don't necessarily like, but I have a different appreciation for them, Okay, which I think might be the best that you're going to get from me. That's that's fair. Okay. Um, so that like, and we'll get to it when we talk about it. But there's one scene um, that has been a big problem for me in the Last Jedi. One group of scenes, uh, and there's one part of it that I really, really did not like. And even though I still don't like it, actually, because of watching it the way we did, and the fact that I recently viewed the other six movies. Um, I actually have a new appreciation for that scene in the context of Star Wars, even though I don't like what it did for the story. And what scene would that be? Um, specifically where Ray hands Luke the lightsaber and asks if he's coming back with her. Um, and uh, he refuses to go. Okay. I really, I still have a problem with Luke not going to help. Okay. I still do. Um, but... Today, watching it, I saw parallels between um, Ray leaving to help and everyone else and Luke leaving Dagobah to go help. I saw parallels between Luke hiding in his island and Yoda hiding on his swamp. And I think those parallels, while I disagree with the way that it portrays the character of Luke, I can at least appreciate that it's echoing uh, previous movies. And so I appreciate And echoing it. previous Jedi Masters. Right. And so I appreciate the scene with... I still don't like it, but at least I appreciate the homage that it's paying to the previous movies, if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. So let me, let me try and bring you around on this one last time. Okay. Okay? Because I have always, from the beginning, from the day that The Last Jedi was released, I have defended the actions of Luke in the movie, that they were in character, or at least that I could... Actually, that's not true. The argument that I've always made is that I can make sense of them and thus import them onto the character. But your argument has always been you, you don't care how much sense the actions make. They don't, they don't reflect Luke Skywalker. They don't fit with his character that right. we've it, seen. That we have, there's not enough information... I think you have to assume a lot of things that we don't know occurred um, and have to assume that they occurred in a particular way to get you from uh, Return of the Jedi to The Last Jedi. What if I were to tell you that that is not true? Well, I would love for you to explain to me why that's the case. I will be happy to do so. The 
conception that Luke is not behaving within character in The Last Jedi, uh, I have never attacked it in this way before. I believe he is completely within his character. What happens to Han and Leia in the years after the Battle of Endor? Um, they have a kid. They have a kid. They attempt to pursue careers that seem tailor-made right. to their talents. Leia becomes a senator and Han becomes a race racer, Race pilot, pilot slash all-around celebrity man. He races the Eve. Right. And eventually, they regress to their mean. They go back to what was comfortable for them because people have a, a sense of building habits. People have personality traits that as much as they may want to change them, they're ingrained and they're very difficult to overcome. Not that they're impossible to overcome and not that you can't overcome them for a time, but I do believe, and this is kind of more of a personal belief of mine, that people in general, they don't often change forever. They change, they can change, but their larger personality remains pretty solid after a certain time. Okay. Luke Skywalker has always been the person who does what he believes is the right thing, no matter what. Okay. Case in point, they're on the Death Star, which is the literal worst situation they could be in at the moment. Their ship was captured... They're taken into this giant battle station with a huge cannon on it. There are Imperials teeming all around. And what do they do? <coughs> Sorry. Oh, no, that's all right. And what do they do? Well, uh, Han wants to leave. Han wants to get the hell out of there as soon as he possibly can. Obi-Wan comes up with the plan of, all right, I'll go shut down this the, the tractor beam. Then you guys can get back in the ship and leave. And Luke is the one who brings up, wait a second, when, when R2 reveals that Leia is being held captive in the, in, on the Death Star, Luke says, wait, she's in trouble. We've got to help her. And Han's like, what? Obi-Wan doesn't protest, but Obi-Wan doesn't necessarily agree with him either. Right. It, it's Luke who, ha who hammers and continues to hammer the point home to try and convince Han that this is the right thing to do regardless of the risk, regardless of the potential outcome to our situation. Right, because she's hot. Well, whatever the reason, that's what he does, right? Because he yep. believes it's the right thing to do. He gets in the X-Wing and flies against the Death Star because he believes it's the right thing to do, even though Han attempts to convince him otherwise. He goes to train with Yoda on Dagobah without telling anybody because he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear from Leia and, Lu and, and Han, well, why didn't you come back to the Rebellion? You know, we're, we're all hanging out. Why'd you just leave us here? Oh, wait, because I have a greater purpose. I want to go learn to become a Jedi. I want this. This is the right thing to do. I'm leaving Dagobah. I'm because leaving my because my trouble. friends are in danger, and I know that I can... Well, granted, he doesn't know that he can stop Darth Vader, but he feels like he can't. He has the, the, the anger within him. Right, because Darth Vader killed his dad. Right, allegedly. And he leaves, he leaves Dagobah to go and fight a doomed battle on Cloud City. He doesn't kill Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi because he doesn't believe it's the right thing to do, even though his masters are giving him the, the impression that it is the right thing to do, and they're saying there's no other way that the galaxy can be safe. You, you have to kill Darth one. Vader. What's that? 
uh, you're forgetting rescuing Han from Jabba's palace. That's true. Even rescuing Han from Jabba's palace, I'm, which is a kind of a stupid thing to attempt. Terribly stupid. With a four-person crew. It, not only a four-person crew, but the four arguably most important people in the rebellion at the time. And they did it anyway, because they thought it was the right thing to do. When Luke fails Ben Solo, and when Luke causes Ben to embrace Snoke's teachings and go down the darker path. I can't say become a Sith, because he's not. Right. Luke comes to the conclusion, which is stated in the film... Now, I'm not making an inference on this. This is right. stated in the film. The Jedi must die. And it is... What's key to this is that Luke still sees himself as a Jedi at that point. He does not see himself as outside of the Jedi. He does not see himself even as Luke Skywalker. But the way that he's behaving is very Luke Skywalker. It's very core to his, his heart. Because in his soul, he believes that the Jedi Order cannot continue to influence galactic events. Okay. In his soul, he believes that the right thing to do, regardless of the consequences, is to stay out of the fight. That the more heroic action is to allow the Jedi Order to die than rather let it influence another generation of learners. So, in staying away, and even, even when he hears that his sister is in danger... How? Does that make any sense? I am explaining it now. No, no, no. Because there is a big difference between Luke not doing things and the Jedi Order dying. If he doesn't want there to be a new generation of Jedi, he just doesn't train any new Jedi. But that's not true, Ben. Why? Because the Jedi can have an influence on things whether they train or not. The legend of Luke Skywalker is going to have an influence on things whether Luke is out and about or not. So it's a moot point... Luke hiding does nothing to stop the legend of Luke Skywalker at all. It does nothing to stop the legend of Luke Skywalker, but it also doesn't harm the efforts of his friends. If, oh. he, if, he, if he shows up, right? Let's say Luke does leave Octu, gets on the ship with Rey, goes back. Or even if he had decided to come home at an earlier point, goes back. Well, Kylo Ren is not happy with him for obvious reasons okay. and wants him gone. That paints a big Luke Skywalker-sized target on the back of their heads, which unfortunately already happened because they were looking for him and the First Order got wind that they were looking for So him. if he hadn't ran away, then the First Order would have been hunting for Luke instead of his friends hunting for Luke. Right, but he can't possibly have... He didn't know that that was going to be a consequence of his actions then you're you're positing that Luke Skywalker is stupid? Yes. He is he is he's dumb. Not stupid. He is stupid, Ben. No, he's not. He is stupid. He's what? not stupid. Luke is the guy who can't can't even possibly imagine lifting the X Wing out of the water because it's too hard. Right. Yoda, that Yoda makes has sense. To, Yoda has to do it for him. And even after learning that lesson, we don't see Luke attempt to do anything like that. Because I'm not sure, I mean, I'm sure that by the point of The Last Jedi, he probably could, but that idea is something that he was, he was very stubborn about. Luke is stubborn. When he comes to the conclusion that him being out of the galaxy is the best thing for everybody, 
And then he spends six years with that thought compounded into his head with no echo chamber. In an echo chamber. Because he thinks that it's the that best. That is why he no. left. Yes. No, it's not. Okay, why did he leave? He left because he was ashamed of what he had done because That's his part pride of it. caused him to fall. That's part of it. He left because he can't face being a failure. And if he's gone, the legend of Luke Skywalker remains. So why bring up the stuff about the Jedi at all? He, he brought up to Rey the past failures of the Jedi Order and how he only continued that right, failure. Right, right, because I'm not so bad. The Jedi fucked up before me. Don't blame me. Jedi make mistakes because of our hubris. Right. Right, but he abandoned the universe to Snoke and Kylo. No. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. The fuck he didn't? He didn't. How? Were Snoke and Kylo still running around the universe? Snoke and Kylo were still running around and the universe. And was Luke running around the universe? But he believed... I don't give a fuck what he believed. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're not letting me finish. You're right. He believed, correctly, that something else would come along. Because there... I, 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 this is a bigger point, right? This is a point that people forget. Back only a few years, only 50 years or so before the events of this film... There were plenty of Jedi. Right. The Jedi were plentiful because there were plenty of Force users around. Right. Luke has resigned to the idea that not everyone has to be a Jedi. Okay. The light does not belong to the Jedi. The light can belong to anybody. Yeah, Luke and I agree on that point. And in that philosophy, he says the Jedi Order is the thing that has been holding us back, and I'm allowing it to die by staying here. No, he... No, that's his excuse he's using because it dies when he doesn't teach anybody about the Jedi Order. But that's not true. Because if if he disappears, right? If Luke disappears and no longer has an active role in events... Then the legend of Luke grows really, really big and the legend takes over. But that's not true because the legend stops when he leaves. No, it doesn't. If he continues to act, that's how the legend grows. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. He did miraculous things and saved everybody from existence. And 2,000 years later, there's going to be a church dedicated to Luke Skywalker if he vanishes. Because that's how people work. Leaving does nothing. It actually makes it worse in so many ways. And I can understand where he's ashamed and runs away and hides because he's ashamed. That I understand. Okay. But he can't pretend that... Well, he can pretend all he wants, but we have to acknowledge he's pretending because running away and hiding doesn't end the Jedi. People are still talking about the Jedi. Sure. People are still talking about Master Skywalker. And I do think that Luke comes to that realization, and that is why he shows up as a projection. But the other factor that we'd have to take into account is that... And he says to Leia as much, I can't save him. Luke Skywalker, because Kylo Ren is the direct threat, right? Yes, Snoke. Right. But Kylo Ren is the reason why all of this went down. Well, Snoke's dead, and Luke knows that by that point. By that point. But I'm saying, when he left originally, Kylo Ren is the linchpin in this whole thing. He is, it's, it's stated to us by several people on screen, one of the most powerful Force users they've ever felt, they've ever seen, of any kind. And the fact that he fell, that Luke pushed him to fall, is a... It it almost dooms the galaxy. Almost. Yep. 
Now Luke is counting on other people to be able to to fight back, and and Ray is one of those people now. And I think that his his experience with Ray does inspire him to act in the way that he does. But it's key that the way that he acts is not something that he immediately realizes. It's something that he has to figure out. Eventually, wait, I can still have a presence there, but I can't actually be there because if I am there, then I lose instantly. There is no win. There, there, he already it's a no lost. Win it doesn't scenario. matter. He already lost. He when? lost when he left. Right. Actually, he lost when he tried to kill his nephew. Right. Luke had lost this battle a long time ago. Luke fell before Kylo. Sure. So now he's just giving them a chance to escape. But if he had actually shown up there, we've talked about this before, he'll he'll die. He, he died anyway, so that doesn't matter. But he'll die at the hands of Kylo Ren. And that is not what he's looking to give them. I don't think Luke intended to do the projection until after he met with Yoda. That that's what I'm saying. Yes. So when Ray leaves, Luke is still staying on the island, being a coward and being ashamed of himself. He's not being a coward. Yes, he is. He's, he's a doing. Coward. He's doing what he believes is the right Bullshit. thing. Bullshit. Bullshit. The right thing would be attempting to redeem himself. And to save his nephew or save the universe from his nephew. That's the right There thing. is absolutely no way you can justify attempting to kill his nephew and then running away and hiding because his nephew thinks he's dead, which is what he said, as the heroic action. That is not heroic under any definition of the word. And if you think it is, then you're lying to yourself in the same way that Luke is. But you're the one who for years has been saying that the Jedi Order was a bad institution. Yes, the Jedi Order was a bad institution. And Luke came to that conclusion himself. Yeah. So why are you not supportive of that? Because Luke can just not train other Jedi. But that's not how it works, Ben. No, it is how it works. No, people think of him as a Jedi first. They will always think of him as a Jedi first. Okay. Even his own sister thinks of him as a Jedi so first. So what? So anything he does, any positive action that he has will result in the Jedi having more influence in the galaxy. He wants to stop that influence right now as far and, as it has and gone. And when, when he dies, the Jedi will die with him. Big deal. Right. No, it won't, actually, because when he dies, there's still 13 people he trained to be Jedi running around. Well, no, because Kylo and the Knights of Ren. Some of them are dead, and the rest of them aren't Jedi. They were all in Jedi training. But they're not Jedi anymore. And it doesn't matter. They still have the training. If he really wanted to end the Jedi Order, he should hunt down Kylo and the Knights of Ren and end it. But that's not how that works, Ben. When you turn away from the Order and you start practicing something else, you're not a Jedi anymore. It's not like they're going to be teaching people Jedi traditions. Right, and if... If Luke doesn't teach anybody Jedi traditions, then nobody knows Jedi traditions. Okay. I, I just mean, the, the the to say I need to go hide because I want the Jedi to die, no, then you just don't teach anybody how to be a Jedi. Okay. It's unfortunate that you have not, you're still sticking on this, and we will never be able to agree on well, this, and that's unfortunate. Well, no, now I'm sticking on something different, because now you're pretending that it's heroic for Luke to run and hide. It is heroic. No, it's not. Well, okay. 
I'm not saying it is heroic. I'm saying he believes it to be heroic. That's the important distinction. The character Luke, who we have seen for these four, five movies that he's been in, it is within his character to stick to what he believes to be the right thing. Un until, I mean, now granted, there are points where his perception is changed in the past and in The Last Jedi. But he doesn't really think it's the right thing to do. He does. No, he's trying to rationalize his shitty behavior. That's what I've been arguing. I'm not saying he doesn't say that I'm, I have to stay away for the good of the world. Yeah, he might say that, but he knows that's not true because it's bullshit in every conceivable way. So why is this still a sticking point for you? If, you've, if you have come to your own conclusion that he's just making it up to hide his shame, then why are you saying that it's not a justifiable course of action? I'm, well, him hiding it has been justifiable all along. I've never argued that he wouldn't have ran and hid. But him le not leaving when was always your problem. When he opens himself up to the Force, and which he did shortly after R2 shows him the Leia thing. He opens himself back up to the force. That's the linchpin for that. Then he comes down and sees Kylo and Rey both in that hut. He sees that. He gets mad so much that he blows the hut apart trying to stop it. Then he fights with Rey because he doesn't want to admit to her what happened. He thinks she's about to kill him, and when he realizes she's not, he lets himself fall to the ground. Because he, she gets, or she, well, he gets pushed back, she grabs the lightsaber, he falls backwards and uses the force to hold himself up. Right. Then she ignites it, and he falls back and lets down his guard. And she makes him admit what really happened that night. Because the story he's been telling himself. And possibly and others. probably Leia and Han is that Kylo fell to the dark side and just went apeshit. He, pro he probably told them the same story he told Rey originally. Which is curious because Leia and Han react to that story in different ways. And Han reacts to that story, at least from the context clues that I was getting from The Force Awakens. Han reacts to that story negatively against Luke. Even though Luke wouldn't, maybe didn't tell them that he was directly responsible for it, he still resents Luke for it. Right. Han blames Luke, which is right. It's Luke's fault. Um, Leia, I don't know, doesn't. Leia and Han split up over it. We know that's the catalyst. Luke runs and hides. Then we see the same thing happening from Kylo Ren's perspective, which is Luke trying to kill him and Kylo having to defend himself, which is much closer to the reality then I think Luke can, well, until Ray forced him, could admit to himself. He stood over his nephew, ignited a lightsaber. It's not like he was afraid he couldn't see in the dark and needed a nightlight. He was going to stab the kid. Right. Kylo woke up, saw it. Luke realized there's no way to undo that thing. Kylo grabbed his lightsaber to defend himself. Okay, so the shame... The shame that is created from this, the shame that he is hiding from, in your in your theory, right? the shame that he is hiding from by trying to explain it away as something else, eventually, as and ultimately, he is able to push past that and make an appearance, in, granted not in person, but make an appearance and make an impact in a positive way. And if Yoda would have appeared to him, see, the, the, 
the part that gets me always or has uh, when they finish that fight with Ray and Ray, he tells Ray not to go back. That's very similar to Yoda saying, stay and complete your training. Ray says, are you going to come back? She says, no. Then he sa- then she says, Kylo's our only hope. And Ray leaves. Luke at that point, because I agree, people will, when they go back to their comfort level, when push comes to shove, they go back to who they are deep inside. That's what happens. When the going gets tough, people revert to their comfort, where they are, what they do, what they're used to. At, its, at his core, Luke is the person who ran to help. Luke put helping the people he loves above everything else. Always. But I disagree because I think that the larger theme of that is just doing the right thing. But he's still not doing the right thing. Because when Ray leaves, he's going to burn the text. He has no intention of making the projection. It's not until Yoda shows up that this becomes his plan. Now, I will concede with you, I used to say he could have made the projection from a hill nearby. You've argued he needed the temple power in order to do that. You're probably right. Okay, hang on. So can we come to the middle on this? Maybe. I think I've just figured this out. Then, couldn't you say that the shame and the guilt that came from his actions, which we have both now said he is at fault. Yep. That the shame and the guilt from his actions overrode that heroism within him for such a long time. And that the conversation with Yoda and the the treatment or the, the destruction of the tree kind of shook him out of it in the sense that, hey, wait, no... I can still be a good person while not spreading this Jedi disease. I, I being a Jedi isn't, I mean, as much as I refer to it as space aid, it's not actually contagious. Um, well, you, you know on. what I, well, oh, wait, hang on, not, not spreading the Jedi disease, because in the new theory that we're creating, or that you're, that you're creating, and I'm sort of starting to come, come around to, the idea that he was blaming the Jedi Order is never the way he truly feels. No. He's blaming himself all the time. So it's the shame and the blame and the guilt that came from that. He's just finally able to get over it. And, and I... And ultimately, then, he becomes and he shows up as the Luke Skywalker that we all wanted to see. Right. The legend shows up. And if that had been part of his plan to begin with, I would have been fine with it. I just don't understand how... One, two, three, he gets these solid hits at these people that we know he cares about. When he sees Chewie, the first thing he says is, where's Han? The first thing he says. I mean, it takes a while. It takes a while to get into him, but eventually it does get into him. If if he had never acted at all, I would I would completely understand your your issue with it. But he does act eventually. And if he had told Ray that he couldn't go back because him being there would I don't know what the fuck it would do. But if he tried to argue with Ray that him just the his very presence would make the Jedi continue to exist and had done anything other than sit silently when she tried to offer him the lightsaber, if he had tried to rationalize with her then, I would probably accept your theory. 
but he has nothing to say. Well, no, that's that's a good point. That's why I'm kind of I am admitting that the theory that I tried to come to this podcast with is probably wrong, and that your theory is probably closer to the truth. And and I agree. It's probably his shame that's overriding everything. the The problem is, I think, and I think Luke actually says it best. He came there to die. He wants to die. He does. And he closed himself off from the force because, see, and that's the other thing. The thing, the, the thing where he closed himself off for the force is kind of a linchpin for me. Okay. Because to me, he closed himself off from the force because he didn't want to feel the turmoil he had caused. That's what I, yeah. That he's trying absolutely. to hide what he did. Once he opens himself back up to the force and he feels all the horrible things, at that time, Snoke and Kylo are both still alive. Leia is dying. Han is already gone. Um, as far as Luke is concerned, and, and I agree with you, uh, when he says, I can't save Kylo, that doesn't mean Kylo can't be saved. That means Luke can't do it. Um, but I agree that he thinks up until that point that everything is terrible. But once he knows the true extent of how terrible it is and he see he feels in the force all the hope getting snuffed out around the universe so hopeless that they don't even respond to leia's request they don't even acknowledge her they, they don't even bother telling her no we're not helping you they receive the message but they ignore it completely right the spark of hope is gone and when luke doesn't when Luke feels that, that should have been enough to rouse Hang him. on. Hang on. The spark of hope is gone. But as soon as Leia says that, Luke comes through that door. Yep. The But Luke felt that before she received it. Because being open to the force. He, he did feel it, but it... Okay. He's there for six years by himself, with the exception of the caretakers. He's cut himself off from the Force. Right. The lie that he's telling Rey and the lie that he's telling Leia, in theory. Right. It's also the lie that he's telling himself. Yep. So, once he opens himself back up to the Force, we're human and it takes a while, for, especially for me, for you, for stubborn people... <laughs> To come around to different points of view. The lie that he was telling himself, I'm going to guess that in the six years that he had been there, he convinced himself it was the truth. Probably until Ray forced him to tell the actual truth. That's what I mean. And then he talks with Yoda and he realizes, I have, <coughs> I have not been, I haven't been acting correctly. He realizes the errors of his ways beyond his guilt, beyond his, the actual action of there. He's saying... By showing back up again, he is acknowledging that you're right, Ben. That he has not been acting in the correct way, but now he will. Right. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm. I agree that that's when he does. Once he talks to Yoda, he realizes he's been a bitch. Okay. So, with that being said, can we now accept this story that has been told into the larger Star Wars canon well, without we much 
fretting. We don't have a choice but to accept that, it. That, that's what I mean. But you've in the past, you have always said that this point of the movie was the movie was the point of the movie that you disagreed with the most. But now that we've gone through it, and and we have you have well, it's still the point I disagree with the most. It still is even um, after. Well, I I am more accepting of it than I was before for the reasons that we've talked about. Um, but there are a lot of things that I. Let me let me rephrase the or let me phrase this appropriately. I think that there were story elements in this film, and this is a context of the greater film. This is just the place where it is most evident. In the Last Jedi. In the Last Jedi. Okay. There are story elements of this film that I think got set aside so that they could have a cool scene. Like, if, if Luke's been shut off for the Force for six years, I don't think it takes Yoda two days to show up. It didn't take him that long. Well, a day? No, it didn't even take that long. It was the same night. He opened himself up back to the Force. He goes down the steps, finds Rey and Kylo. Rey and Kylo leave, and he goes... E- or Sorry, Rey leaves, and the first thing he does is go to the tree. Well, put on his Jedi robes and then go to right. the tree with the flame. And that's when Yoda shows up. There is not a lot of time in between that. I, He was up in the temple for a while when he and, opened himself up to the force. A long time. And for the record, we have I have brought this up. There the are past. hours he was up there from when he opened himself to the force than when he came down the stairs. I have brought this up in the past. I'm not sure if the force ghosts have control of when and where they appear. I'm really not sure of that. They have to have control. I don't think they have to have control. Up until this movie, we didn't realize Force Ghosts could use the Force to manipulate the real world. They have control to manipulate the real world, apparently, but I, I still so don't think... So they can't manipulate themselves, but they can manipulate the world? No, I don't think so. I think that these Force Ghosts can only speak, and granted, we've really only seen them speak to Luke. Right. They can only speak to him when he needs them. Nope. He didn't need them at the end of uh, Return. Well, he did need them. He needed he needed Anakin. Anakin shows up there as well. We didn't need Obi-Wan or Yoda. But we did. We needed their Obi-Wan. acknowledgement that he had done the right thing. In the end. Which, is what, which I think is what that leads to show. Because they had been telling him, you have to kill Darth Vader. And he didn't kill Darth Vader. Everything still turned out okay. And they're, them showing up is them acknowledging, okay, we were, were right, wrong, you right. were right. And then Anakin shows up next to them, and it's like, okay, great, he has rejoined us. Also, we're really pissed off at you, dude. We're really pissed off at you. Wait till all the younglings show up. <laughs> uh, okay. So, anyway. Let me, let me bring up a point, because I've been very positive so far. Let yep. me bring up a negative point. And it kind of goes back to what you were just about, what you were saying just before this. Um, about the plot points and how they they were kind of ignored for cool scenes. Well, it, and before you do that, just okay. because I don't want to steal your fire by coming back to it. Okay. Um, I think the Luke fight scene was a really cool scene, and this is the way you put it in the movie. I think Yoda appearing and lightning the tree was a really cool scene, and this is how you put it in the movie. Wait, what? What do you mean? When Yoda force lightnings the tree. Calls the lightning. You said, down. and this is how you put it in the movie. Right. This is how. It, how would you change the story to include those scenes and not have the movie been the way it was? 
I don't think I would. Exactly. And so I think that's what drove Luke to ultimately stay was so that you could have those two scenes. Oh, I, I see don't what think you, I they see were character driven. I think they were driven for story. Okay, I see what you mean. So that's the and and you're going to bring up some points that I think are evidence of that. Yeah, that is indicative of the larger problem. So go ahead now that I won't be stealing your thunder. Okay. Before The Force Awakens was released, we had six Star Wars films, and we had one man who was creative at two people who were creatively linked to the entire franchise all the way through. Um, Besides the actors, of course, because Anthony Daniels has been in every saga. Right. I was just going to say Anthony Daniels and... (laughs) No. John Williams. And Anthony Daniels. And George Lucas. Okay. George being the one who's writing the story. So all six of these films are George's baby, which means that George has the ideas of the other films in his head when he's writing them. By extension, when George creates the Clone Wars and Dave Filoni is his right-hand man, Dave Filoni has all of the other films in his head when he's writing them. Dave Filoni is a Lucasfilm employee. He continues to be a Lucasfilm employee, and he was the, the uh, supervising director on Star Wars Rebels. That show is awesome, and right. it takes into account almost every piece of Star Wars lore that had come before it. Right, Big Dave approved. Big Dave approved, fan approved. Everybody see. I haven't heard anybody. But the only negatives that I've heard about that show are people don't like how it looks, which is fair. That's fair. It's the animation style. It does look a little strange in parts. The lightsabers are really thin. <laughs> they look more like rapiers than they do like broadswords. I totally would make a light rapier anyway. Yeah, I. I I can understand the criticisms, but from the story perspective, I have not heard any criticisms of like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. It fits into the Star Wars galaxy because you had a dedicated group of Lucasfilm employees. This is their bread and butter. For the films, they hire subcontractors, in a sense. J.J. Abrams. Sub is in less than contractors. and Oh, sorry. Yeah, they hire contractors. No, no, no. I was just... I just... Subcontractors is the right word. I'm just making a joke because we're talking about how the film... But anyway, continue. They hire subcontractors. They hire J.J. Abrams. He's not a Lucasfilm employee. He's a kind of like a mercenary. Hey, you're good at making movies? Come on over and help us make this movie. I hope he has that on his resume. I hope it says movie mercenary. (laughs) Uh, Lawrence Kasdan, you've written Star Wars before, but you haven't written every Star Wars movie. But the ones that you did write, people seem to like. So come on over. We'll let you help. We'll help. We'll let you guide JJ along on this process. And Force Awakens, you'll recall, is the most like the other Star Wars movies between these two films. Absolutely. It has a lot of the same language to it. It has a lot of the same shots. It has a lot of the same direction. It has a lot of the same humor. It has a lot of the same everything. Story elements. In fact, yes, that's what I was going to say. You could argue almost too much of the same, but the same nonetheless. The Last Jedi, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who appeared to have complete creative control over the process. I when think, when I- the Lucasfilm story group was announced, when they announced that they had a group of people that were going to be completely dedicated to upholding the canon and making sure that all of these things fit together and that people would consult with them, 
I thought that it was going to be a much harder role. Like, I thought it was going to be a much more concrete idea that, oh, you're not going to get anything in these movies without running it by us. But the creative process of The Last Jedi, the documentaries that I've watched, the interviews that I've heard, would lead me to believe that it is not quite that way. That the story group is there as a resource for these artists, for these filmmakers, but that the filmmakers are not beholden to them. You know what I just... And that, in my opinion, is a mistake. A a larger mistake that Disney is currently making with these films. You know, something I just realized. Um, So who wrote and directed Last Jedi? Ryan Johnson. And who wrote and directed Force Awakens? J.J. Abrams. He wrote and directed? Yes. J.J. And Larry Kasdan are credited as the writers of the story. Okay, so he didn't write it and all Michael, by himself. And Michael Arndt. Michael Arndt was brought in originally. He was the guy who was going to write it, and J.J. was just going to direct it. So, And then they fired Michael Arndt for, for reasons unknown. So which films did George Lucas write and direct? The prequels and... A New Hope. A New Hope, I believe. Okay, so the New Well, Ho- I, I don't know if he wrote A New Hope, but I know that he... He certainly conceived it and directed it. So, so what, but Empire, he definitely didn't write and direct? Correct. Empire, he did not write. Lawrence Kasdan wrote, wrote Empire. Irvin Kirshner directed Empire. George produced Empire. Okay, and then uh, Return of the Jedi. Richard Marquand directed. Lawrence Kasdan wrote along, I think, with a couple of, other, maybe one other person or a couple so other people. So what you're telling me is the best way to get good Star Wars is to not have the writer and the director be the same person. Because every Star Wars movie that I have big problems with were written and directed by the same man. Are you saying you have big problems with Force Awakens? Uh, but he didn't write it by himself. You just told me there were three people credited with it. That's true, he didn't. So the, when you have the writer is the director... That's when we run into trouble. So how do you how do you explain Solo? Was that written and directed by... No, no, that wasn't. Lawrence Kasdan and Jonathan Kasdan wrote Solo, and it was directed by, first, Philip Lord and Chris Miller, and then um, Ron Howard. As, as I've said before, I have to reserve my judgment on Solo until we see Solo 2, Electric Boogaloo. Which we will never see. No, no, we're going to now. What? Yeah. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. When did you hear that? Uh, there was just a big thing. There was a huge fan outcry, and Disney is looking at doing a, a new installment of Solo. Oh, maybe they're exploring it, but I, I don't think we're going to get it on the I screen. Think I to. think it'll be more of a Disney Plus thing. Well, that... Okay. There are only three Star Wars movies beyond Rise of the Skywalker that have been announced, and they're untitled, but they're two years apart, just like these last three have been. And those are the only three that are on the schedule. The, all of the, uh, the other projects that they had been planning have kind of been scrapped. Um, and they're going to focus on their Disney Plus offerings like The Mandalorian and like the seventh season of Clone Wars. Um, which, which is I an unfortunate, for, but- which by the way, I will say is an unfortunate side effect of, I don't think of The Last Jedi. I think that that's a side effect of Solo. But that, which is, is an, an unfortunate side effect of the Last Jedi. You think that Solo, which was in development and was written completely separately from the Last Jedi, is a side effect of the Last Jedi? 
I, I think the reception of Solo is a side effect of The Last Jedi. I would disagree with that. I, I, I think, think if Solo had been a better movie, people would have liked it just the same. I, I think if Solo had been a better movie, people would have liked it, but I think people were more critical than they may have otherwise been if The Last Jedi had been better received. And, and I okay. think a big part of that, and this is, we'll get back talking about The Last Jedi in a second, I think a big part of it is um, the response Disney had to fan criticisms, which was to double down and say, fuck off. And, um, you know, you're making a product and you can't insult the consumers of that product in the way that they did. But the other, getting back to our larger point, which is these two films. Right. The, the problem that comes along with hiring contractors to do your movies is that, again, I would have thought that with J.J. being credited as a producer on Last Jedi, that there would have been a through line. That if you were doing a trilogy of films, that you would have a creative through line. And a there force. Wasn't. To keep them both together. But I think, and you can disagree with me if you want, watching them both back to back, it is very clear that there was no creative through line. I, I agree with you. I think this is more like, you remember that game you used to play by the campfire when you were kids? I say a sentence in a story and then someone else says a sentence in a story. Yeah, sure. I think that's what this was. Which is the exact wrong way to handle a franchise the magnitude of Star Wars. Wars. Absolutely agree with you. That's one of the few moments we absolutely agree on something on High this five. podcast. There we go. All right. So um, you were bringing up, you brought up, uh, while we're talking about things that were cool shots, but were cinema, which uh, I think the story suffered for. I think that's mostly contained to The Last Jedi. I, I agree. I think The Force Awakens is a very solid a solidly told story. It may be very similar to the other films, but everything within it seems to make sense. Well, and and while I I've been a big critic of the fact that it liberally borrowed story beats um, from the previous films, I kind of think that's what you needed to remind people how much they love Star Wars and why. Um, but there are a lot of scenes, and when we were just watching it, we pointed some of them out that were in there for, well, this is a cool scene or this is a cool shot, but it did nothing to advance the story. Um, the blue milk scene with the aquatic cow that gives Ray the, uh, what are you going to do about it, look after Luke harvests blue, harvests his blue milk. A blue harvest, if you will. Yeah, that, uh, that serves no story <laughs> purpose. No. Other than to show us alien boobs well to show us what he had been up to and the spear fishing the fish scene is just ridiculous because the fuck did that work even but it was just there to show some cool shots there's a lot of little things i i said it to you over text message a couple of weeks ago um that was something i had finally come around with on this film and forgive me people <laughs> Forgive me for taking this long, for taking a year and a half to finally realize these things, because you've got to understand, I love Star Wars. Right. If you shit in a bag it. and wrote Star Wars on it, <laughs> Zach would, would buy it. I would buy it and I would eat it. <laughs> I would eat it. And only Challenge after accepted. and only after I ate it would I realize it was a bad idea. <laughs> and that it would take me some time to figure out that it was a bad idea. 
but eventually I would realize it. And I have now so many months away removed from this film. I can see its faults and I can see why people reacted so, so I don't think I can see why people reacted so negatively to it. Like the vociferous hate that this movie produced, not the, the force awakens didn't even come close. There were people who didn't like that movie because they felt like it was a ripoff, but they hated this movie. They hated it. And I don't know if I can completely understand why, but I can, I'm starting to see elements that I dislike. Like, for example, the Holdo maneuver. Right. No. The problem that I have with it is not that, oh, well, if you can shoot hyperspace ships at people, why wouldn't you just do that all the time? Well, that's, that's, a, valid, that's a valid point. That is a valid point. But the point that should be made is, how is it possible in the first place since hyperspace is supposed to be a different dimension? Right. At least that's how I always understood it. It's how it appears in Rebels, like you pointed out when they launched the Spectre from the Ghost. We, we'd have to... Or the Phantom, sorry. We would have to go back and watch it, which we don't have it with us right now, so we can't. But my memory of that is that they, when they exit hyperspace in the Phantom and return to normal space, it's not a simple process of just slowing down. They, they go through a very strange process, and I would think that that is not their momentum carrying them, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. In that case, Ryan Johnson put a shot in a movie to be a cool shot in a movie, and it was. It was You can't it was deny. Cool. It was right. a really cool shot, but does it make sense in the Star Wars universe? No. It does not. There's there's another thing, and I don't know if it's along these lines, but you pointed it out, and I had not thought of it ever before. And I'm not going to steal your thunder, but I want you to convey to the people listening because uh, it really kind of blew my mind, um, the natural elements of the movie compared to the previous Star Wars movie. Oh, sure. And I, I really would like you to talk about that because I hadn't it hadn't even dawned on me until you said something while we were watching it. Well, that contributes to the feel of this film and i think a, a reason could be a reason why so many people are very angry with it because there's not a lot about the last jedi that is familiar force awakens is familiar right to its core even though it's introducing new characters the characters are draped in a blanket of star wars that we all think is warm and cuddly the and same thus, thing with Rogue One, for that matter. The it same thing like with Star Rogue Wars. One. It felt like Star Wars. Even though there are inconsistencies and even though they're not perfect films, because they feel like Star Wars, we're willing to forgive a lot of those things or simply overlook them. The Last Jedi was the first Star Wars film to go out of its way to not be Star Wars. Ryan Johnson looked at this as an opportunity to make his version of a Star Wars movie, which I'm not saying is is the wrong instinct, okay? I'm not saying directors shouldn't have creative freedom. That's not the case that I'm trying to make. But I will say... Nope, that's all right. I will say that it does contribute to the reaction to the film. The way that the movie is shot is completely different from any other Star Wars movie. Yep. The morality in the movie being more fluid is way different than any other Star Wars movie. And I will point out that Ryan Johnson must have really liked 
the idea of balance in the Force. Because the, the concept of balance returns in a huge way in this movie. In a way that it had not since the prequels. Like, the, the prequels made balance in the Force and Anakin being the Chosen One one of its major plot points. In the original trilogy, that balance was never mentioned. And in these films, Force Awakens doesn't mention it. But Ryan Johnson hits it heavy in this movie. And I actually, I do admire him for that. But it creates a little bit of an inconsistency in the philosophy and presentation of the films. Because he handles it in a more serious manner that I think that people would be open to were it not for the faults in the film. The, uh, and if it were presented, if those ideas of balance were presented in a film that was more reminiscent of Star Wars, I think that people would be eating that shit up. I'm eating it up. I love it. A lot of the story of this film, I do really love. Well, and, and I liked like when DJ pointed out that the same people are selling weapons to the First Order were selling weapons to the Republic or the uh, Resistance. I liked that. Um, but above and beyond that, as much as those are all great points, that's not what I asked you. No, to tell no, I, about. I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> but a big part of that language that Ryan Johnson did not carry over is the way that the characters interact with the nature in the films. George Lucas, and this is a big George Lucas trope, when he was making these movies and when he made Indiana Jones, there was almost always a natural threat, whether it would be the creepy spiders in the tomb, you know, for Indy, or snakes, which Indy was deathly afraid of, or the Dianaga and the trash compactor, the wampa and the space worm in Empire, uh, the Rancor, Rancor and even the, the Ewoks and the, the Sarlacc and even the Ewoks to a degree, which were dangerous to the Empire and origin initially dangerous to the rebels as well. Because Ewoks are bastards. Because Ewoks were going to eat them. Let's not forget that. Even though they spoke basic. <laughs> even though they had met people. Ben, forget the Ewok adventures, okay? <laughs> they knew Cinder. By the way, I just bought that. I now have what a copy the of the Ewok Adventures. Which which just proves my point that if you shit in a bag and wrote Star Wars. I love on it. hey, I love the Ewok Adventures. Those fucking creepy baby Ewoks. If you take them uh, out of the Star Wars, all, all I have to do is watch them not in the context of Star Wars. Just imagine I'm watching a any other TV movie from the eighties. They work fine. Okay. Wilfred Brimley convinced Ewoks to eat people. Right. All right. But but anyway. But anyway that natural threat shows up in so many of these films that it was apparent to me in The Last Jedi, it's not a natural threat. It's a natural help. Right. Almost every time there's a natural element, it's a boon to the characters. The Fathiers help them escape from Cantobite. The Raptors. The, huh? The Raptors in Han's ship. The Raftars in Han's ship oh, in, in, in Force Awakens are attacking them. They're just attacking everything in sight. Right. That is a reflection of the natural threat. But in Last Jedi, we don't get any natural threats. The The Fathiers help the heroes. The foxes, the crystal foxes, help the heroes. Um, the Porgs, they don't necessarily help, but they're not harmful. They're just hanging around. They, they give Chewbacca a crisis of conscience. <laughs> right. Which makes no sense because he skinned. <laughs> and butchered that porg and roasted it in front of all of them. So I don't know if you can consider it a negative, per se. I wouldn't say that that element of the film is inherently negative, but it is, yet again, another contrast to the Star Wars that we know. And I think all these little contrasts 
I think all these little contrasts build up, and whether we think about it or not, when it's happening, they make us realize that we're not watching the Star Wars we know. It's different. Right. And and I'm not saying it shouldn't be. That's the other problem. I love the idea of new filmmakers being able to push this franchise forward and introduce new ideas. I am not against that. But unfortunately, I am just one person, and it appears that I'm in what could be the minority of the people who watch these films, because the general audiences may not feel that same way. I, I don't think you're in the minority of people. I think it has to do with this film. If Ryan Johnson had told this story or a similar story as not part of a trilogy, I think it would have been okay. But because this is definitely part of the saga trilogy, not just it, or the saga story, it's the second movie, which I know everybody says the second movie sucks, and uh, you got to wait to see the third movie, and then it'll all make sense. Yeah, there is some truth to that, but Empire, motherfucker, no. Yeah, Empire did not suck. Empire was the best. And of the there original. are there are people who hold Attack of the Clones above Phantom Menace. I don't, but there are people. I think I, like yourself. You I was like, say I I like clones better than Phantom. Sure, um, but I like all three of them less than I like the worst original trilogy movie. Sure, and worse than Force Awakens. But anyway, the, if he was trying to tell his own story, and I think this goes along with the through line comment that you were making before, a trilogy needs to have a story through line. You can put your own take on the story, as Empire demonstrates, without taking away from the story. And there were a lot of things that happened in this story that I think existed to get a cool cinema, cinemographic shot. Right. And I think this, the movie itself suffers for that. And I think if you weren't telling a story with beloved characters, that was a continuation of a story we had known and loved for you know years, I think it might have been better received. But this is not the time to play games. This was the wrong time to play games. I agree with you entirely. Uh, and with that, I think we can call it a break. Okay. Obviously, we're not done talking because we got to talk about the characters in these movies. Okay. I, I, I want to see what your perceptions of all of the characters are now that you've watched both films simultaneously. Or not simultaneously, but back to back, right? We watched, right, I watched them, both. them simultaneously. One in my left eye, one in my right we, eye. We watched, <laughs> we watched both films in succession. That was what I was looking for. In succession. And these are the two major pieces of storytelling with the new characters that have been introduced. There is there is other storytelling out there. For example, Poe appears in Star Wars Resistance, which we haven't seen yet. But I want to see what you think of them and if they hold up to the overall Star Wars tradition. But we will save that for two weeks from now. So, so are you saying I have to shut up now, Zach? That's right. You have to shut up for at least a little bit. All right. Uh, thank you for listening. Share this with your Star Wars loving friends if you found anything in it of use. Share it with your Star Wars loving friends even if you didn't because we all love Star Wars and we want to talk about it. And we want to talk about it with you, me and Ben specifically. So, uh, ben and I. 
Ben and I, either way. We make mistakes. I make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, right, Ben? I'm an asshole. That's all. <laughs> so, but email us, send us a message on Facebook. Let us know what we got right, what we got wrong. And come back in two weeks when we talk more about the new characters from the sequel trilogy. Until then, Ben, may the force be with you. And also you, Zach. This has been a Galactic Netcast production. For more, go to GNCast.com.